Welcome to the Team Egos Podcast, the show where we talk life while enjoying tea. Today, I talked with Kelsey Anderson. Kelsey is a functional nutritional therapy practitioner, FNTP, specializing in supporting and restoring the way women approach health, healing, and hormone balance. Kelsey and I discussed tea, hormones, agriculture, sex drive, oils, immune health, and female cycle, and a whole bunch more. Check her out at bunsandbalance.com or on Instagram at bunsinbalance and enjoy the show. Kelsey Anderson, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Amazing. I mean, you know, the weather, it's, it's soon. It's still February, but I'm hoping that we're on that spring or heading towards spring at this point. It it's been like, like 40 degrees. Yeah. I just went for a walk today outside with like a sweatshirt. I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy. Yeah, I know. And I feel like we we just got back from Colorado too, but there's just like, even though it's not so much warmer than it used to be, there's just like this feeling where you're like, okay, spring's coming, the sun is out, and you just kind of force the sweatshirts and you're like ditching the jacket, committing to this type of thing. Yeah. Well, when it jumps from negative, well, up here, negative 30 to uh, 30, and you get like a 60 degree swing, it's nice. It, literally anything. Yeah, exactly. You force it because at that point you're just taking advantage of what you can get. Yeah, for sure. Was it negative 30 for a long time where you're at? It was for at least three or four days. It was like negative. I would say the average was probably like negative five, negative 10 here in Minneapolis for like two weeks. And it's just sad. <laughs> it's it really, it's, it's sad when it happens because no one wants to do anything. You walk outside, you take one breath, it hurts. And you're just like, mm, this <laughs> I'm gonna painful going back. Yeah. Inside. <laughs> I'm going I'm to stay inside. I think today. Yeah. Uh, amazing. So what are we drinking today? What's, what's the tea that you got that you got there? I have a dandelion root tea. That is what I'm rocking today. And in my yes. go-to almost every single day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. We're, we're definitely going to be talking about that. I joined you of course with the dandelion root, but I decided to spice mine up. Um, I've so dandelion root, it's, it's a decent flavor by itself for me, but I've been trying to, you know, I've, I've, I've come to the conclusion that like, there's things that I can do to make food and like drinks and teas taste better than what they already are and still get the health benefits. So I added like cinnamon, star anise, cloves, cardamom, um, a little bit of ginger. Yeah. I just kind of made like a, like a chai. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> can we I, trade over? The- <laughs> <laughs> over. Yes. Over the virtual, virtual level. Yeah. I'll send you some, but no, it's yeah. Cause like I said, dandelion root i mean what's what's your take on dandelion root tea taste wise so for a little history i have never been a big tea person like growing up i never really drank tea i would Mm -hmm. do an occasional i don't even know like green tea sometimes so when i first dandelion root tea once i started school was kind of like my first step into the tea world and i just was kind of committing it to it for the health reasons and was just kind of like all right put my blinders on i'm just going to drink it so I don't know. To me, it was just like, all right, this tastes like tea. Like it's not super sweet. It's not super anything. It's 
pretty bitter, mm-hmm. but now I've gotten used to it. Um, I would say, but yeah, and a little sweetness wouldn't hurt. I don't think. And I have a lot of clients too, that they'll try it and they'll get back to me and be like, so is there anything <laughs> else or, <laughs> so it's definitely something to get used to. And I think I'm going to need to get the recipe that you have, um, concocted over there because it sounds, yeah. sounds much better. <laughs> yeah. There's, that's like, I think people, when they jump into the tea world, because like it's such a vast ocean of tea that you like, and you don't really know what you're doing. You just assume that all tea is going to taste like whatever first tea you have. And if it's not a good experience, which I would argue a lot of people, it's just like a bagged tea, or like you said, just a, an herbal tea, which herbal teas, like just a straight herb can not be the most enjoyable all the time. That's what they just assume tea is. And it's now that I've kind of grown into this and I'm still learning a crap ton, but I'm definitely starting to understand it better. I realize that it's like when I hear people like you say that, I'm like, oh, I just want to, I'll send you stuff because like, yeah. trust me, I, I have something for you. Come over to my house. I'm going to make you the best cup of tea in your life and I'll convert you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, keep converting people, keep pushing for it. But so what was your first like OG tea when you started or have you been drinking tea your yeah. entire life or was there one that just was like, I don't know, set everything else apart. So for me, I started drinking tea in high school as kind of like a, a pre-workout for my morning workouts because I, I didn't like caffeine. Like caffeine, was I was really sensitive to it in high school um, and I didn't want to get into coffee. So I needed a little bit of boost, but nothing too, uh, but nothing too crazy. So my parents recommended tea. I got into that, it just literally bagged green tea, whatever my parents were buying. It was probably like Bigelow or Lipton or something, some crap like that. <laughs> and and so like whatever, I was just drinking straight that. And like I would add like a little honey because again, to me, it was it got super bitter because I would put the tea bag in, boil some water and let it sit for, for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really what started to expand my mind on tea was in college, I started to try different green teas, um, specifically matcha. Matcha is really what got me into like into tea, like really like, like, oh, I want to kind of dig a little deeper. And I know like you actually just started recently trying matcha. I is did, that yeah. yeah. I'm like a new matcha. It's been such a trend, I feel like for the past couple of years, just on social media and everybody's trying matcha. And I, mm-hmm. and I don't want to, you need to continue your story. I'm stepping on your toes a little bit, no, but I tried it once. And again, I, I love coffee. I've been used to coffee. That's just kind of been my go-to. And it, I don't know, the first one I tried, I just wasn't fond of it. I didn't doctor it up at all. I just was like straight matcha. Mm-hmm. I was like, this just kind of tastes like grass and I don't, <laughs> <laughs> can't totally get on board. But recently yeah. I have, and I have found a good kind of recipe that I, that is a little bit sweeter. And I do like the more, like I definitely notice a more stable energy throughout the morning. Um, I'm not someone who responds poorly to coffee by any means. Um, unless I, you know, like don't eat before anything. So I typically don't get like the coffee jitters or headaches, feel shaky, anything like that. But I, I think it was two weeks ago I did coffee for, or 
I'm sorry, matcha for a whole week. And I definitely noticed that the energy throughout the afternoon was just a lot more stable. It was very even keeled and it was nice. So I'm, I feel like I'm rotating kind of back and forth right now, but I am liking it so far. Yeah. Yeah. So what, when you say you, it was a little bit sweeter, did you add something to the matcha to make it sweeter or? Yeah, I did. So I add, what's my kind of, so I do collagen right now with it. I do Mm. this, I have kind of like a prebiotic probiotic um, vanilla powder that I've been putting just like a tiny, tiny bit of. Um, And then I do either raw honey or pure maple syrup in there just a little bit to sweeten it up. And then I just froth it and yeah, that sounds delicious. See, I can't, I've never really gotten into the lattes. That's something that I'm interested in and interested, but like the ones that I have had are always from like Starbucks or stuff like that. And they're loaded with so much sugar and it's just, I, I get, I get the energy from the sugar, not from the actual tea. And then right. I crash and then I'm like, Oh, I feel terrible. And this is not good. And yeah. So I, I stay away from lattes when I like go to buy them but I'd like to make my own because they, everyone who posts like about them, they look delicious. I just can't. Yeah. (laughs) You froth them up. Like, I'm like, Oh, I want that. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe just, I bet if you did it at home, you would be able to make something good. Cause I feel like you're already good at flavor combinations and everything. So it might be fun for you to try. Yeah. It's, I don't, I also don't really drink much milk anymore. Um, I kind of got into the almond milks and then I started like, I don't know, hearing things about how almonds aren't really the most sustainable practiced uh, or harvested foods. So then I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be drinking that anymore. And I'm like, I don't really drink milk anyway. So maybe this will give me a good reason to go back to just good old cow's milk. And Yes, that's the best stuff. Oh, I yeah. love, like if you can get raw milk, mm-hmm. that is one of the most nutritious foods that you can have for your body, but I, or even like whole organic milk. That's what we typically do. Um, cause we don't have, I think the closest like raw dairy farm is 45 minutes to an hour from us in Milwaukee, which is really shocking because we're in yeah. the dairy state. So when we moved, I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. We're going to be so close, but, um, yeah, try out the whole milk maybe if you tolerate it well and see. How yeah. It and I, yeah, I'm lucky. I don't, my my gut is pretty resilient to most foods. I don't really react. Like I said, I used caffeine used to be like the one thing and still is kind of like if I have like espresso, like on the very rare occasion, oh I know God. it's going to be, a, it's going to be a ride <laughs> yeah, for, for the next like hour, two hours, it's going to be a ride and then I'm going to crash mm-hmm. hard. But it's like, I do that for fun sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> just, to, just a fun little experiment for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm lucky when it comes like cheese and dairy, I'm, I'm all about it and I'm, I'm all in. That's what I eat. Good. That's awesome. So, okay. So, well, one, actually, I kind of want to jump back into the dandelion root because that's something like you've been drinking and promoting dandelion root for tea for so long. So what, what's about it? Like tell, help educate me about dandelion root tea. (laughs) So dandelion root, like I said, is one of the only teas that I have drank for the past couple of years, I would say. Um, It is extremely supportive to the liver. So it improves um, bile flow and just kind of helps decongest the liver, which is very important. I feel like growing up, I never 
gave two craps about the liver and like we never heard I mean I don't know you just it's not like a sexy organ to talk about and you just it doesn't get much attention aside from oh it's gonna be hurting after college and you know you're drinking so much and whatever but it truly I mean it has almost 500 functions in the body Um, and with a lot of the clients that I work with who are women, um, it's very important to your hormone health. Um, it plays many roles in hormone health, blood sugar regulation, um, and thyroid support too, as well, or thyroid health rather. So it is something that I feel like I could just like, I'm beating a dead horse when I talk about it, but it's just supporting the liver, I think is one of the most important things that you can do for your health. So it's definitely something that's become a part of my daily routine and almost always a recommendation that I have for clients as well. That's awesome. Yeah. And like the liver, like you said, it's such a, it gets worked a lot, especially if like you're not treating it the best always. Like if you do enjoy alcohol, which I do on occasion, it gets worked. It's, it's just such a worked organ and not, talked enough about. And so even if this is adding a little bit of support to it, that's, that's like enough for me. Yeah. Like anything that it can do. I know it it is. And it's a lot of the things again, that we don't really think about aside from even alcohol, but just, I mean, the liver's in charge of kind of filtering through and detoxing all of the toxins that our body is exposed to as well. So I mean, that can be anything from like toxins in our air that we can't necessarily control or toxins in our Mm. water or like personal care products. That's a huge one, Um, especially for women just in like the makeup or the deodorant that you're using, um, cleaning products, candles, like all, I mean, almost everything that I feel like we have in our modern world is toxic in one way or another. So if you're not intentional, you're not being mindful of where those exposures are coming from and being, you know, providing that support for your liver and just giving it that extra boost that it needs. It, it can get congested very quickly um, and lead to some issues. So there's a lot that, I don't know, it can feel kind of overwhelming when you start to get into the whole, all the toxins that we're exposed to and chemicals and things like that, because like I said, they're just, they're in everything unless you're, unless you're careful about it. But yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite ways to just, I don't know, feel good that I'm doing something for my liver and (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome. No. And so that's something that I agree with you. There is a lot of, a lot of variables when it comes to like toxins in just our environment and what we're doing in our daily habits and routines that we don't know might be messing with our bodies and our home, our hormones, hormones, geez. Um, But so, okay. So for someone who is brand, let's say is just hearing this for the very first time and they've never even considered this, like, like you said, this is an overwhelming thing. I mean, you just mentioned something that you do like every day, like whether it's body care, like cleaning yourself, whether it's whatever you're eating, whatever your places that you're living, what are some basics like go to like, what are like the first thing that you like think about? And you're like, okay, let's analyze this. Or like, this is the first step in this process because it's it's so overwhelming. Yeah, that's a good question. And it is super overwhelming, even still for me too. Like you just, even when you're in that space of, you know, trying to make these cleaner swaps and finding different alternatives, it's still like, holy cow, like it's just, it is. So I think the easiest way to go about it is 
kind of sitting down and thinking about those things that you are exposed to every single day. So whether you want to look at foods, every so if you, for example, like if you're having an apple every single day, think about, okay, you want to prioritize that that's an organic apple, because if you're, if that's something that you're consuming day in, day out, you're, and it's not organic, it's very common that you're going to be consuming pesticides, GMOs, all those chemicals that are sprayed on that produce. Um, and the same thing goes for other products. Like I would say deodorant is absolutely one of my first, um, kind of red flags that I bring up with clients because, and this goes for men and women, I mean, you're, it's directly on your skin and you're wearing it all day long, typically. I mean, most people, I assume, kind of put it in, on in the morning and it's there until you shower next. Um, mm -hmm. And that's directly being absorbed into your body through your skin. So that's a clean alternative or swap that I always encourage to to prioritize um, when you're kind of starting off on that journey, um, trying to think other and, things. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to ask. So with the, the, the deodorant, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's due to the aluminum in it, correct? Yep. Yeah. So there's the aluminum in it. And there's also with like fragrances in deodorant, there can be a ton of um, different chemicals and personal care products get tricky in the way that they are, um, labeled or I guess how their ingredients are labeled, they can get that industry can get away with a lot. Um, in just even like the word fragrance, um, there can be I forget what the number is specifically, but I'm pretty sure there can be over like hundreds of chemicals or components to that fragrance term. Um, so it's just some some things like that, that take some time to kind of educate yourself about, okay, what should I be looking for? What should I be looking out for? Um, but a good resource that people can use. Um, and what helped me was that it's an EWG app. Have you heard about that? Or like a website too, but essentially yeah. you can download this app. And if you're in the store, um, whether you're shopping for foods or personal care products, things like that, cleaning products, you can scan those items and it will basically give you like a rating scale of, you know, how clean those are, or if it's like, if red will come up then it's like, okay, you don't really want that those exposures to you and, you know, to try to search for something cleaner. So that's one thing that I have found that was helpful in my journey when I first started making those cleaner alternatives. But I also see that with clients that um, just being able to scan it um, and it'll automatically kind of pop up for you. So you don't have to look through all of the ingredients that are in it and all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, cause like there's such, I've kind of taken the, I mean, I'm lucky I do have a chemistry background, so I can, I understand a little bit more. Um, still, there's a lot of words that like when I look and I'm like, ah, I don't even remember what this is. Like, I have the idea, but that's such, like I said, I'm one of the fortunate ones who understands chemistry a little bit better. Um, I would argue that that's probably not the majority and that's an over another overwhelming thing. You look at her label, you see a bunch of crap. It's, it, you don't know what it is. Um, so that's cool. I'm going to add that to the show notes because if you send me that after, I'm, I want people to have that access. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's an awesome resource. And like you said, too, I mean, you probably have better background as far as um, your chemistry background. But when I even when I look at like the 
because again, going back to the cleaning products, makeup, all of that stuff, it's, it's harder to determine if those ingredients are clean just by looking at it with the naked eye. Like for food, mm-hmm. my go-to is like, if you can't pronounce what's on there, yeah. put it back on the shelf, like run away from it fast. With personal care products, it's very different. There are still some that I'm like, I've never heard of that. And it's initially sounds like it's something that I don't want to get involved in, but it might be something that is safe. It's just, it's, it's just a little harder. So I, yeah, I'll definitely send over that app for you to include in there. Cause it's very helpful as a resource. Yeah. To use. Awesome. You know, one of the things that I've heard are kind of terrible um, for you and it's unfortunate because I'm, I fall victim to, it. I kind of like the smell of it, even though it's like, now that I know it's like, Oh, so bad, but like a new carpet smell. I've heard like the new carpets are actually loaded with like formaldehyde and with other like plastics. And when you like inhale that you're basically just inhaling plastic. Really? Yeah. Have you heard, have you not heard of that? No, I haven't heard the new carpet. Oh uh, yeah. It's so it's, I, uh, like I said, I'm, I fall victim to it because like a new carpet, it's a weird, it's like one of those weird smells that like, it's like, oh, it's kind of pleasant. Like I kind of like it. It's, yeah. It's new. It's whatever. And then I heard this and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like yeah. now I can't, like, what am I supposed to do? Like I have to like let my carpet air out and I, I don't remember like what the, what you're supposed to do. Maybe you just get a used carpet. Yeah. But <laughs> now they're taking away it's like new carpet. Ever. <laughs> yes yeah exactly i know and like because again it's everywhere and it's like but i think breaking it down the way that you said like think about your daily habits and then target those things so like i drink tea every day ideally i'm going to be drinking organic and sustainable tea that's been raised in the in a proper way and because actually going back kind of like with that aluminum thing, I actually found out that people who drink um, who drink a lot of tea actually do have slightly elevated aluminum levels in their in their bodies. And it's like kind of freaked me out a little. Like they're like, if you're worried, like target your deodorant before you target your tea because you're going to be getting out more than uh, more in your deodorant than you are in your tea. But it's something to be aware of. So it's like, there's, there's stuff everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's to be, yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It's everywhere. But, and I try not to scare people with that too, because Mm -hmm. it it is a blessing and a curse once you kind of like step into that educational space and you're like, okay, you're becoming more aware of these things, which is great. But at the same time, it's overwhelming. And you're like, well, shit, like I am they're all around me. Like, where do I start? But like, I I think if you just start with those consistence that you are constantly exposing yourself to and just start by a few things too. I don't think, I think a lot of times people are under the assumption that they have to like swap out their entire kitchen, swap out all their cleaning products, like do the whole haul, which is fine. If you're that type Mm -hmm. of person and you're like an all or nothing and you have the budget to do that, because let's be real, like cleaner products are more expensive. Um, But if you just start with a few things and I like to, I mean, and this is what I did personally, as soon as I ran out of a product, um, whether that was like my face cleanser or I don't know, cleaning spray, whatever it is, then just swap that for a new cleaner alternative and just kind of gradually make that transition instead of 
feeling that just like doom of having to do it all at once because it's a lot and it's expensive, which Mm -hmm. I get, but I think I definitely think that it's worth it um, for your body and just to minimize as much as you can and control what you can control. There's a lot out there that we don't have a hand in, which is okay, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, and it's important too, for people to understand, like, this isn't acute stuff. Like this stuff is not going to be killing you overnight. If so, we would all be dead. Um, This is stuff that like you should ideally, it could, it could like chronically create hardship in your life. So if you could start to wean yourself off so that, so that you have a brighter future. That's the, that's the idea. Again, it's not acute stuff. You don't have to be like, hopefully if there's any like hypochondriacs listening to this, they're going <laughs> to, they're going to go through and just to raid their everything. And <laughs> Kelsey told me to. Yeah. Ruining their life right now. No, but that's so true. And that's a huge point. I'm glad you brought that up because it's, yeah, it's, it's, the stuff isn't going to kill you and it's not something to be fearful of, but just if you can switch your mindset a little bit and just be grateful that you're like, okay, now I'm aware of this. What can I do um, moving forward? Then it's a lot easier than thinking you're going to die with yeah. every single thing that you buy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So one thing that I've heard this from, a lot of a lot of like dietitians, but you've really been driving it home and I've I've taken a lot I've taken it to heart and really incorporated into my life is in regards to oils and in regards to canola oils, vegetable oils, butter, ghee, like versus like butter, ghee, nat- natural um, animal fats and stuff like that. Can you I, I have a few questions with this, but basically can you just kind of give an overview of why you tend to steer away from the vegetable oils and go more towards like a ghee, a butter, something like that. Yeah, for sure. So this is in the food realm, one of the like first swaps or priorities that I always like to talk through with my clients too. And so to list some off, I guess that I would remove completely from your diet. If you can completely from all the products that you're using, cooking oils, things like that. Canola oil is a huge one. Um, vegetable oils, soy oils, soybean, corn oils, um, trying to think about like sunflower or safflower oils too. A lot of these are going to find in the clear plastic bottles. Um, and these are super, super, they're very hydrogenated. So they're processed at really, really high temperatures. Um, basically, and just in that high temperature processing too, they're stripped completely of any nutritional benefit from them. Um, and they're just, they can be really toxic and inflammatory um, to the body, which is really unfortunate because they are in so much. I mean, if you, as soon as you start to flip foods to the back and read the labels, it is. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's, I don't want to say it's impossible because it's not, but it's mm-hmm. almost impossible to find any type of, food without these oils in them. Um, and inflammation is just basically the bottom or the root of almost every single type and form of disease. And if we're constantly consuming these oils, it just can really cause a lot of problems, um, in the body. But the problem is it's very cheap for them to the food industry to produce these oils um to mass produce them and yeah like i said they're they're in everything so as far as 
which oils to, or like cooking fats to consume. So I guess kind of going back another reason why these oil, the um, canola vegetable oil, the bad, the bad crew are yeah. not great. Um, they rancidify really quickly. So they're not super stable at high temperatures, whereas something like ghee um, can sustain those high temperatures. It's going to be stable. It's not going to kind of rot in the body for lack of better terms. Um, so that's why I always try to go for something like ghee, grass-fed butter, um, avocado oil, coconut oil, I'm trying to think of any more. Tallow is great. Um, lard even too, if you can find a properly sourced lard, um, those are all really good oils to incorporate. Yeah. And a question I get a lot, cause I've been talking, telling like my parents about this and like friends about this. Um, a question I get a lot is why is olive oil and avocado oil and like coconut oil, why are those fine? But the other vegetables are, are not. So again, it kind of goes back to the processing and the stability of them. So coconut oil, avocado oil, ghee, those aren't processed at those super high temperatures. So they still are able to retain that really good saturated fat um, mm. that is stable for our body. So we can consume it. It's not going to rancidify in our body. It's not going to rancidify while it's cooking. Um, and those, those are, I guess, the main kind of reasons behind why I would steer that direction rather than the bad crew. Yeah. And that's, again, that's like, it's so crazy. Cause even like I was mentioning about like the, the almond milk and stuff that, that I was drinking, like I noticed oat milk is becoming a very big and popular thing. And it's an oat milk, like canola oil, I think is in, is an oat milk. And I've just become more conscious to see like what I've been, what I've normally eaten to and seen like you said, canola oils and like a crap ton of stuff. Like the hummus that I was normally going to yes. was, it was there. It was like all these things that like you assume are healthy and like you assume like, and again, it's like one of those things that are, I do think that there's definitely like, I would rather choose a hummus over like a cheese. I don't know, maybe like a, like an artificial cheese dip or something like that. But like you said, if, it, it comes down to the underlying fact of, are you creating inflammation in your body? And I agree like with that. Like when I've, I've tried to do my best, like, of course, when you eat out and stuff, it's a challenge because like not, not all restaurants are, you just don't know. Like unless mm -hmm. you, unless you do know, and you, you know, like you have like a good locally sourced place, but it's a, it's a challenge. It's for sure a challenge, but I think it's in, like you said, it's the first step that I've kind of taken in my own self. And it's hard to say if I've like noticed a difference, but I just, I feel better. Like I feel like just mentally, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling better about my decisions. Yep. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things too, if you are gradually, I mean, if you're, this is something that you're consuming in small amounts every day, it's not, you're not going to notice like, oh my gosh, I took it away for three days. And I feel like this new person, like inflammation is one of those things that builds up over time. Um, unless you have a very like acute, you know, infection or disease going on, but it is, it's definitely something to, again, if it, you are consuming it every single day, it's absolutely something to remove. Um, and it is, like you said, I mean, it's truly in everything. And 
and it's frustrating too when I feel like you're trying to make those health conscious choices at the store. Like, okay, I'm going to grab hummus. Why would I even look to see if canola oil is in this? Like hummus is good. Hummus is healthy. Um, but then you flip it over and there it is as like the first or second ingredient. And same thing goes for, I mean, like almond milks and oat milks and a lot of these um, like vegan or dairy alternative products that people, if they are choosing them for health reasons, I have many thoughts on that, but (laughs) a lot of them are filled with oils. I mean, they're just straight oil. Like if you look for a vegan butter and check out the ingredients, it, I mean, it's all oil. So yeah. it's um, just, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I, I wanna, I wanna hear your, your thoughts. I'm, I'm going to, yeah, you, you've mentioned it now. I want to hear them. It's just, it's frustrating from a nutritionist standpoint. If you are, again, I know people choose, you know, vegetarian lifestyles or vegan lifestyles for other, you know, more moral reasons. Um, but if you are truly looking for foods and products that are healthier for you and are providing more nutrients, um, going the dairy alternative or I don't know, vegan butter oil, like all of those things, it's just, it's just inflammatory oils, um, is typically what they're made of. And one of my favorite examples of this is if, and I'm switching over to meat a little bit, but if you look at the Beyond Burger, which has become extremely popular, mm-hmm. <laughs> popular um, for whatever reason, um, and you look at the ingredients of the Beyond Burger and compare it to just a grass-fed beef packet or whatever it is, it's it's mind-blowing. I mean, the, the ingredient list on the Beyond Burger is full of chemicals. It's full of hydrogenated oils it's full of just crap and then if you look at grass-fed beef it's literally on the ingredients grass-fed beef like in my mind I'm like why wouldn't you want to or you know lean towards just whole foods like that to me I would 100% rather put in my body grass-fed beef than all of that other garb um, that is inside of you know, lab made meat, which is cringing yeah. to me to say that word, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I've, I had, I've only had one beyond burger once and I did it just we kind of when they first were starting to come out, I was like, I'll try it. I'm, I'm curious. It was more of a curiosity thing than anything. And it, it is bizarre. Cause you're like, okay, I could see this. Like I could see how, if you're doing this for the taste, it's, pretty darn close i mean there's there's definitely there's definitely things about it that um were different but like honestly in a blind taste test i probably wouldn't have recognized it but then i've been looking at them in the grocery stores like you said and it's just it's mind-blowing it's 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 wild and it's scary because you're seeing these pushed so hard and even like it's becoming like a political thing now to make beyond burgers like a thing. And like, to me, it's upsetting because like you said, like the, like the sustainability, like in the health, I guess I use healthy meaning like kind of what you're mentioning here type movement. I don't think there's as much money in it. And so it's, that's kind of what's driving this stuff as well as just the political or not political, um, just the public perspective on things. Um, it's just not well educated. And that's why 
people like you, people like, I mean, there's so many people now who I think are coming out against this stuff. It's important to have these conversations and to put these words out there because it's not really being taught elsewhere is what I've found at least. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, it's, it's sad that, um, I feel like meat has gotten such a bad reputation, um, over the years. And I think there is just that lack of education of, okay, well, I hear that meat is bad. So I'm just going to, you know, go to beyond meat. Cause that has to be better for me. It has to be better for the environment. I'm assuming because it's plastered on in every market on every commercial and political stuff. It's just, it's wild how much it is that notion has spread. But I mean, it comes down to, like you said, it's, very much a money thing. And it costs far less money to mass produce, you know, meat coming from factory conventional farms. Um, But the fact of the matter, I mean, this is talking the meat that you will typically find when you go to the grocery store. Um, If you go to get like burgers or whatever it is, those are coming from factory farmed cows that are fed grains. So in grains, this is something that many people don't know. Cows are not biologically built to digest and eat grains. Um, so when they are fed this and they are fed this to bulk them up. So again, we can mass produce and get as many meat, you know, whatever out to people for the lowest cost. They have to, these um, farmers and you know, whoever's dealing with the cows, they have to give them antibiotics and they have to give them different medications and, you know, whatnot to keep them healthy because essentially these grains and these diets that they are being fed, it's not their natural diet. So then they have to backtrack and keep these animals, quote unquote, healthy enough um, so they can, you know, produce meat from them. But then when you think about it, I mean, the cows are given these antibiotics and the chemicals, GMO stuff. And then when we go to buy that burger, we are putting all of that into our body as well. So I think, like you said, it's really important to just start normalizing these conversations and to having them um, with people to bring awareness to the fact that if we can really prioritize where you are getting your foods from, how they are being sourced, um, and understand the process of how that not only if you're buying from a farmer that is, you know, pasture raised cows and all the grass fed good stuff, um, that's not only better for the animal, but that's going to be better for your health as well, because you're not receiving all the antibiotics, all the chemicals, um, and all of that. So it's just, it kind of all comes full circle. And I think, it's a super important conversation to have. Um, one of my favorite books that I have read, and this is a really good read for people, is The Omnivore's Dilemma. Um, I forget who wrote it. I'm terrible with names with that. But Omnivore's Dilemma is a fantastic read um, if you're looking to educate yourself a little bit more about um, that whole realm. And my friend and colleague, she actually just did a podcast interview with Bobby Gill, and he is out of the Savory Institute in um, Colorado on a regenerative farm. And that's a phenomenal listen to. So I can send those over to you just if people are really wanting to dive into this, because 
it is super, super important, not only for our health, but I mean, the health of the environment as well. So this could be like a whole other podcast, but yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to it. And it's, it's super interesting. And I feel like once you're educated about the background of everything and you really understand the why it's much easier, you know, to spend those extra two bucks or whatever it is on beef the next time you go to the store, um, just because you do have that knowledge and it's kind of hard to unsee or unhear some of the things that you do learn uh, once you dive in a little bit deeper. So yeah, I'd be happy to share those with you if you want to include them in the notes. Yeah, please do. Cause it's after, like, I think you put it perfectly right there after hearing enough about this and seeing enough about it, it's something I just can't shake for myself when I go to like a grocery store and when I go and just like, even like if I go out and eat and like, it's always in the back of my mind and I'm trying to do my best to, to talk to people about this. Like I have vegetarian friends who are doing it for the reasons of like the environmental reasons and really admirable reasons, mm-hmm. but there are better ways. In my opinion, there are better, more sustainable ways. I mean, if you do regenerate, talk about the regenerative farming, like you said, we can go down a whole nother path there where it's it. That's how literally life was like before we colonized the United States, like the cows, the bison, whatever it was, were roaming around grazing different paths and their, their poop was just growing and or regrowing the earth. And I mean, it's, it's an entire process. And now the, I think we both can agree that factory farming is one of the most disgusting things humans have done to animals. And I, and I'm all, I'm all on board with that. Like, I would rather, it's like when you learn about that too, it's like, okay, I, I get it why you want to go vegetarian because right. you hear about that and you're like, well, it's either meat that's factory farmed and inhumane or not meat. Like that, those are your options, but it's like, no, wait, there <laughs> is more. another option. Yeah, there, wait, there's, more. There. <laughs> yeah, there's another option. And so I, uh, it's such a, yeah, again, this is an important conversation that I try to have with with people because and i've never been one to try vegan so it's like i almost like don't have like the backup to be like listen and they're like well you've never tried and it's like you got me i haven't but i'm not going to (laughs) either so it's uh i'm curious what's your thoughts on the carnivore diet or do you know much about that i i mean personally i don't know a ton about it i feel like when it comes to diets, the two that I feel like I kind of focus most on to steer people away from are like intermittent fasting and keto. I haven't looked a ton, ton into carnivore diet diets. Um, and especially with women who are as my main clientele, but I don't know. I just, I feel like with anything, when it comes to diets, as soon as you start eliminating anything completely, it, you, it's kind of dangerous. And there's, there's a reason and a benefit behind every type of whole food that there is. Um, and it just, I think short term, many diets like that may, you know, present a lot of benefits and people might be feeling better and, you know, 
after a few months, they might be losing weight or whatever kind of those acute goals are for them. But what I get concerned about is just a few years down the line. Okay, what is that doing to your body after not eating any plants? Or, you know, like, what is that doing to your gut after? I mean, you need prebiotics from produce and you're so then you're no longer feeding the good bacteria in your gut. And it's just kind of this whole like, cascade in my head, but I don't personally, I have not done a ton of research, honestly, on the carnivore diet. I do hear it talked about quite a bit, but I'm curious, have you done much research on it or have you tried it personally? No, I, um, I have a buddy who has, or who's currently on it and has been on it since college. So now going on four years and he absolutely loves it. Like he is absolutely all about it. He is, he does his blood work and it comes back great. He's building muscle lean and, and it, it, it shocks me because it's one where I've been interested before to like, he almost convinced me to do it for like a month. And then I talked myself out because I'm like, ah, I love bread. I love, I love vegetables. <laughs> I, I like all this stuff. So I talked myself out of it. Um, but it, I agree with you, but at the same time, I've been seeing so many results from people who've been doing this for the long, for quote unquote, long term. I say quote unquote, because it's like maybe like five, 10 years and they're still doing great. And it's, that's what I'm confused about, like when it comes to this. And I wish there was like a true in-depth, like science or research done on this. Unfortunately, like I've heard from some of the like doctors in that realm, in that carnivore realm, like I've heard from them, there's, again, there's no money in researching it because what's it going to do? Like that takes away money from the pharmaceutical industry. It takes money from big food. And it's like, no one wants to put money into it because it's, if the results come back, like these doctors say they will, it's bad. <laughs> it's a right. bad thing. So I, yeah. So I was curious if you, what your thoughts are. And I agree with you, but I, I'm again, I'm very, very interested in it. Yeah. And I, and I think that it's just, and diets are so hard. And when you see people too, that are, you know, doing so well, like you said, with your friend and long-term, everybody is so, so different when it comes mm-hmm. to how their bodies respond to different foods, to different diets. And that's why I like to take such a bio individual approach with the clients that I work with. And I think, it's hard not to, when we are surrounded kind of by this diet culture of these new like carnivore diet, keto, intermittent fasting, and you do see people that are doing extremely well. Um, it's hard not to, you know, want to go there and be just work curious individuals. And we're like, okay, well maybe that works. And I think it's important if you want to try something out, like try it out, see how your body feels. Um, but I do, I think it's, it's hard when you are following, and I'm getting off on a little bit of a tangent here, but when you start to follow diets, um, it's very common for you to become pretty blind to some of the symptoms that you may be experiencing because you're so focused on, you know, meeting these goals and only having so many carbs, or even if it's like a workout regimen, like you're trying to do 30 minutes in the gym, this amount of calories, 
you kind of shut off all of your other blinders to the fact like, okay, well, I'm not sleeping anymore through the night, or Mm -hmm. I have headaches constantly throughout the day, or I can't get through the afternoon without another cup of coffee, or my libido is crap. And those, those other factors that are so important to a healthy life, but they're not sexy and they're not, um, kind of the shining goal when you are doing a diet. So I don't know. It's, I think if you want to try something out, I think you should definitely try, um, see how your body responds. If you feel great, then like do your thing. And I just think it's important to always keep those, um, just like stay mindful of how your body is truly feeling and kind of keep those markers in mind. Um, because it, and another thing too, with diets, I feel like after we, graduate, I feel like, I mean, in high school, you're like doing sports or you're in clubs or, you know, you're a part of something. And after you graduate high school, college, you kind of lose that sense of community um, for some people and diets and certain trends like that. It's easy to jump into those because you have that again, you have that sense of being a part of something. So I do think that that is one of the reasons why as humans, we find it so attractive and we're constantly like gravitated towards trying these trendy fad things. Um, and I don't mean to say that in a bad way because I know that some do really work for people. Um, but it's, it's just interesting after stepping back and be like, why are we complicating things? Like, why don't just eat real food type of thing? Like, why does it have to be this? Oh, are you on this type of diet or are you doing this type of regimen? So I don't know. I have kind of mixed thoughts about it, but I, I don't know. I'm rambling, but <laughs> no, no, I, I think it's important stuff again. Um, and it's interesting. I agree that in something, cause I've done intermittent fasting and I've, and I loved it actually. Um, I still do. So kind of my, my experience with intermittent fasting, I started it in college, senior year of college. I started doing just like a 12 or 16, eight, right? That's math. Yeah. Math 16, eight. And, um, and then I just, again, I was feeling good doing it. Like it, at first I kind of pushed through like the hunger pangs and then like eventually I was feeling really good and I was kind of just seeing like nice results. Like my physique was getting better and I was like, okay, like, yeah, I was, I liked it. Um, and I pretty much rocked with that, I even like cut it down to sometimes where I'd eat one meal a day. I'd cut it down to, um, yeah, it's like 20 hours and like of, of fasting and four hours of eating. Um, and then I had my surgery back in October. And when I had that, I was like, fasting puts my body into stress. I'm, I'm already in stressed in a stressed out state, just trying to heal myself. So let's, uh, let's just eat more regularly. And so I was doing that and I felt great <laughs> and I really enjoyed eating. And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to do this more often. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so, and then I, uh, I haven't, so now I, again, another thing I picked up from you was the whole 30 minutes right after eat or right after waking up. I'm not that good. I, I like my morning routine, so I don't like run downstairs and go make food, but I've, I do my morning routine and it's like, it's like about an hour after I get up, I have like some bone broth and, and this is a nice thing to, to ease, ease me into the morning and ease my metabolism. 
um, back into things. But I, yeah, I feel great doing this. And, and I still do love fasting for the many reasons I think fasting, I think there's a place for fasting. And I guess I should take a step back. And I think um, I'd like you to talk on this a little more too. I think there's a place for fasting for men. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Cause then I'm going to ask you, I, I want you to kind of take over, but so I think there's a place for fasting for men, especially at, at 25 um, in our reproductive years. And so I still do like a three or four day fast every like six months, but, um, but yeah, I'm more on the train of just keeping my metabolism going. And, and I've just, again, now looking at the full Vince spectrum, I don't have those energy crashes. Like when I was doing the intermittent fasting and eating like once a day, I would feel I would have great energy all day. I would eat my meal and I would crash hard. I would crash hard for like the next like two or three hours. And so it was like, well, okay, I guess I'm done with work, done with not going to go work out for the day. Or like, it's like, this is it. I'm done for the day. And then I would be, there would kind of be a, a repeat. And I just kind of assumed like that was a thing. And then I'm like, what am I? Yeah. What was I doing? Like, it's like, it, it's so weird. you get caught into this routine and so normal. And then once you finally step out of it, like, like I said, unfortunately it took me to have surgery to literally step out of it. And now I'm like, Oh, I didn't, I, I can have maintained energy throughout the whole day and be productive literally from when I wake up to when I go to sleep and I go to sleep and I still have like normal sleep schedules. Like, I feel good. <laughs> like this is, yeah. this is what life is supposed to be, I think. Yeah. And you're like, and I can eat food too. And this is. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah and I get to enjoy some delicious food. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so going back to the, like I said, I want you to talk about, cause so you work predominantly with women, correct? Correct. Yep. Okay. So when you talk about steering people away from intermittent fasting and from fasting in general, you're talking mostly about steering women away and would, are most of your women um, clients in their reproductive years? So like, I guess what's the age range that you work with? Yep. So almost all of the women that I, I work hundred percent with women um, and most of them I would say range from like 25, sometimes I'll get a couple that are a little bit younger to mid thirties. So very much in their reproductive years. Okay. So, um, yes, when I say I steer away from intermittent fasting, it's very much for targeted towards women. Um, intermittent fasting, there has been a ton of research on the benefits. Um, but unfortunately all of that research, which I think is backed up, I think it's very valid. Um, but all of that has been done on men. So there has mm. been very, very little research done on women intermittent fasting and the benefits for them in their reproductive years, which is really, it's just a crucial piece of, um, or just, um, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of population that is missing in the research. And what happens with, I mean, women have very different hormone fluctuations and just cycles in general compared to men. Our hormones are much more delicate. There's they're fluctuating throughout the month, um, going up and down there. It's just, it's very complex. And with intermittent fasting, 
when you are not eating, this is causing essentially a stress response in your body. So whenever you are under stress, whether it be from work or, you know, you're working out too much or relational stressors, dietary stressors are a huge one that people don't often acknowledge. Um, your body is going to be releasing cortisol. So I feel like we're all pretty familiar with cortisol. It's kind of that fight or flight type of hormone that is produced by our adrenal glands. And when cortisol is running throughout our body, that is the only hormone that is going to be prioritized. So this is why I, I really steer women in their reproductive years against intermittent fasting. Um, because if you are constantly restricting calories and you aren't feeding your body, you're not nourishing it, that is a stress to your body and your body is going to be releasing cortisol to try to combat that stress. So cortisol is going to be running through your veins and all of your other sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, your thyroid hormones, all of those are kind of going to be put on the back burner um, because cortisol is the only one that is going to be prioritized in the moment. Um, it's kind of just like, oh, what was the analogy I was just going to say? I totally lost my train of thought. But um, yeah, when cortisol is in the body, it's just, it's trying to put something out. It's trying to save the day, which is good. And that's a natural response. But the problem when we are constantly under stress in our modern world, um, again, a lot of the things that we can't control, but there are many things that you can, it's very, very common for women, especially to just be in this heightened chronic state of stress and intermittent fasting and not feeding your body, not supporting your blood sugar, not you know, nourishing the way that it needs when you, especially in your reproductive years, when you are probably, you know, planning to have a baby or whatever it is, it can be, oh, hi, Banks. Sorry. <laughs> Welcome, <laughs> Banks, to the show. Welcome, that Banks, is, uh, is on the podcast. Yes. For those of you, obviously, who can't see, because it's an audio-only <laughs> podcast, that was an adorable puppy who just joined Yeah, a little puppy kiss came. <laughs> Um, and now I lost my train of thought. But yes, long story short, um, intermittent fasting can be super beneficial for men. Um, and that has been shown in research time and time again, but there just hasn't been much research at all done on women in their reproductive years and how the, you know, cal calorie restriction can affect your overall hormone orchestra, I guess. Yeah. So something when you were, when you talk, when you were just talking, I was thinking, would, do you know, would the, cause I still think that there, like, there are good benefits of fasting. Would you, would you as like a woman get them if you did like a, like one prolonged fast a year? Cause obviously you're going to get that, but that's not like something that you're chronically doing every single day. Like you would with right. intermittent fasting. Would that be something that you could recommend or is, would you still say like, eh, steer away from it? No, I mean, I think if it's one time a year, that is, like you said, it's not something that you're going to be doing daily or weekly. Um, and if that's something that a client would be interested in, I would encourage them if I feel like their body's in a healthy state, which mm -hmm. most of them are, I would say enough to do that. I would, yeah, I try. I mean, I try to meet them, my clients where they're at too. And if they come to me with certain goals that don't necessarily align directly with the approach that I typically take, I like to find a happy medium and just try to make sure that I can support their body in a way that they can 
you know, try whatever type of goal or um, take that approach. But no, I think if it's like a once a year type of thing, that's something that I wouldn't be too concerned about. Okay. Yeah. I think I said, it was just a, a thought of mine. And so <clears throat> you, I think it's very evident um, that women and men have very different hormonal cycles. So another thing that I've seen you post a lot about, which I find really fascinating. I've been actually before or the last couple, like probably like the last month, I, I don't know if it's like been a, I think it's been like a subconscious thing. I've just been learning a lot about the women's cycles um, and just like kind of what goes on throughout the month in like a woman's body. And I find it fascinating just because again, with men, I'm pretty sure it's a 24 hour cycle where it's like, you have a lot of testosterone in the morning and it just tapers off and then it starts over. I'm yep, pretty, pretty simple. sure <laughs> really simple. And so, and we don't, yeah, it's, uh, it's really simple in comparison. So I guess, can you give a little bit of, uh, a breakdown for anybody like listening who, who doesn't know this? Because I think it's important that, again, as a man, I think it's important that we understand this. And definitely, if a woman doesn't know about this, definitely she needs to she needs to understand that. So you got to give like a breakdown of what a cycle. And we don't. I mean, if you want, we can get into details, but um, get as in depth or not as you want. But just kind of what does it look like for yeah. For women? Um, I'm glad you're interested in this too. Cause when, yeah. before the podcast, I'm like, Oh, typically I talk a lot about the <laughs> female body and periods and all this stuff. So this yeah. might be interesting if you're not, but I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. So the woman's cycle, you have four different phases in it. So you have follicular, you have ovulatory, which people are typically familiar with. You have luteal and then you have your menstrual phase as well, which again, menstrual and ovulatory were typically somewhat familiar with, or at least familiar with hearing those words and obviously what happens while you're menstruating. Um, but it's not something that we, at least myself and what I see with hundred percent of my clients and a lot of the following on Instagram, we just weren't taught about our bodies and our cycles um, to any extent. They basically are like, all right, you're going to get your period once a month here's some tampons, here's some pads, like figure it out and it's going to hurt type of thing. Um, but essentially with all of these different phases, our hormones are fluctuating in a way that can and is it's really possible to sync up with those hormone levels and where they're at through dietary adjustments. Um, you can even sync up with your workouts too. So for example, when you're ovulating, you are feeling really good. You have a lot of testo or testosterone, um, estrogen, all you're feeling good. You're energized. Um, this is a really good time to do like high intensity workouts, for example. Whereas, uh, when you are in your menstrual phase, your hormones are at their lowest. You're feeling very calm. This is why it's so common to kind of just want to sit on your couch and chill um, when you do have your period because your hormones are just low and it's good to do like very, very low intensity workouts, just doing yoga, um, meditation, Pilates, walking, for example, and trying not to, you know, push your body in a way that's going to counter where your hormones are at. Because again, that's really, it's going to play back into the stress kind of cortisol talk that we had prior with intermittent fasting. But if you are, you know, say you're in your menstrual phase and you're feeling fatigued and you're exhausted and, you know, 
your just energy is at an all time low, but you are going and doing like orange theory for an hour and a half and pushing your body to the max, it's not going to compute well, um, because you're working against those hormones. So I think a really interesting piece of what I have been able to do with my clients too, is teach them and educate them about the different ways that the hormones kind of ebb and flow throughout the month and how you can eat in a way that is supportive to syncing up to those hormones and how you can exercise in a way that's supportive as well, because it's, I've found that with almost all of my clients that have really taken the time and become, have become intentional about cycle syncing, they have noticed much more just like stable energy. Again, it goes back to the unsexy stuff. So they're able to sleep through the night. Um, they have that stable energy. They don't feel the crashes. They don't have headaches throughout the day. Their, their body is just in a good, healthy, nourished state. Um, and you're just, you're kind of playing along with it as, as your hormones are fluctuating throughout the month. So I, I mean, it's, it's really cool. There's so much detail that you can get into with this. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, I think if there are women listening right now, if you're able to sync up and kind of listen to your body's cues and play into those hormone fluctuations, when you get your period, um, your symptoms are going to be far less painful. And there is absolutely a way to eat um, in a way that is going to be supportive for PMS symptoms. So you don't have to have debilitating cramps and you don't have to, you know, feel like you're going to throw up or pass out every month or, you know, call off work. And again, this kind of goes back to the lack of education that women have growing up as teenagers. And we just, again, we assume that, you know, three days of terrible cramps is normal and you just have to throw ibuprofen at it um, and hope for the best. But there's, there's definitely a way to achieve a pain-free period and just figure out those different mechanisms to, you know, make sure your magnesium is where it should be and make sure that you're removing caffeine like a week or two before your period. That's huge for, mm -hmm. to alleviate period cramps. And I mean, there's so many little tips and tricks that I work on with clients and encourage people to do, but like dandelion root tea is a huge one to pull things back to tea a little bit. Um, but the liver is in charge again of filtering through, um, excess hormones too. So estrogen is a big one. So a lot of times when women have really bad PMS symptoms, um, breast tenderness is a huge one. That is a sign of estrogen dominance. So there's too much estrogen in the body and the liver is plays a huge role in filtering through estrogen and detoxing the estrogen that we don't need. Um, which is why I always recommend dandelion root tea to just give your body that extra boost. Um, so your liver isn't congested and it's able to filter through and able to get rid of those, you know, that excess estrogen. So hopefully when that time of the month comes around, it is a lot less painful. And I've no, I mean, I have women reach out to me on Instagram almost every day, even just by implementing dandelion root tea or just by removing caffeine. And they're like, oh my gosh, my period was so much better this month. And it's like, it's not this crazy complex thing that you have to approach, um, as far as, you know, supporting your hormones go, but even very, very small, um, changes that you can implement can be really helpful. So it's pretty crazy how powerful food is. Um, but yeah, the female body is insanely fascinating. I think it's, mm. 
it's again, one of those things, like when we were talking about regenerative farming, like it could be a whole, whole other thing, but I think we just need to normalize this conversation and educate women, even if they are, you know, 27, 28, 35, whatever age they are. So they can take far more control and have that autonomy over their body because it doesn't have to be painful regardless of what everyone has taught us growing up for whatever reason. But yeah, yeah, that's, that is such a good point. And so, and I, and I'm thinking the reason kind of why I've been interested in this and kind of learning a little bit more of is I've seen there's like really good herbs and spices and stuff and teas that you can incorporate into, into your diet as a, as a woman going through these cycles, what kind of, so besides dandelion root, is there other stuff that you kind of recommend throughout that time? So another big, I would say dandelion root tea and then ashwagandha are my two like yeah. hit home uh, herbs to use with women. Ashwagandha is a really, it's a great app. Um, why can I talk? <laughs> Adaptogen. <laughs> there we go. Um, that's super supportive in regulating your cortisol levels. So mm. Again, tying the, I feel like this conversation always comes back up when you're talking about hormones and just stress in general, but it's a super supportive herb that women can, I mean, if you drink ashwagandha tea at night, it's just, it's helpful in regulating your HPA axis. So this is your hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. So it's kind mm. of how all kind of your brain and hormones are working together for kind of a long story short, but yeah, ashwagandha can be super supportive in just kind of calming your body down, reducing the amount of cortisol that you're releasing. So women and men that are under high amounts of stress, this can be really, really great, um, a great thing to implement into their daily routine. Yeah. I love ashwagandha. It's it's for men. There's a lot of good stuff um, with ashwagandha. It's a, it's a very, um, energizing herb actually for men and kind of gives i mean the i've mentioned this before on this on this show but it the quote is that it gives you the vitality of of a stallion is kind of the um the thing with ashwagandha and men i mean it's a big libido booster and um i i really i really love ashwagandha i use it pretty much daily in my in my morning routine actually um with the bone broth and that's yeah it's so cool have you ever worked um, with Ch- is it chasteberry or chasteberry? Yes, yeah, okay. that's another great one too. Um, I've I've heard good things about that. Yeah, yeah. So that's another one that you can throw in there. I'm trying. I mean, there's yeah, there's, there's so many, but like yeah. ginger, turmeric. I mean, mm-hmm. all of those. But I'm curious. I kind of want to come back. So I have a lot of women that would love. I feel like to hear your thoughts on herbs that, to boost libido because this is a conversation that we have quite a bit. Um, so I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. I know you have a blog about this, um, but maybe to talk through some of the herbs and kind of your take on libido boosters. Yeah. And so I actually, there's a, there's a store here, shout out to Tao Herbery in Minneapolis. Um, they have this really cool wall of, of herbs and spices and pre-mixed uh, blends of teas and stuff. And I uh, I tried, they have this male support, that's what they call a male support tea. And I tried it and it really boosted my, my libido to put it simply. <laughs> it was, uh, there was like a, a week of, of drinking that like daily. I was, I, I was feeling it and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, like 
I don't know if this is just like because like the research I've like looked into these herbs and stuff, but again, I, I, I don't know if this is more of like just the male focus, but for, for those, um, those ones were uh, ashwagandha, horny goat weed, tribulus fruit, and I am missing something else that I believe I I can't remember, but those, I remember those three were, um, were big ones that again, the, the science on those that I found, there's not good, really great science. There's a lot of like evidence types, like this is what people have experienced and like, and I can be a testament to that. It's like, yeah, I did experience some of that, and again, whether it's a little placebo, whether it's a little actually going on, I did have that. Like experience. It worked. It worked. <laughs> um, so, so those three are are really interesting to to look into. And actually, the flavor was kind of it was kind of almost like this might sound unattractive if I if I use this word, but it's kind of like seaweed. Um, okay. I kind of liked it. It was a it was a very uh, very vegetal very again i see it, like that's salty? always no oh. no it wasn't salty it was almost sweet actually it was like a sweet seaweed okay. <laughs> um so yeah it's it's kind of hard when i st- when i talk about the herbs or, or when i talk about herbal tea and flavors i find myself using a lot of the same words and i'm like okay i got to really hone in on my <laughs> on my sommelier type of, type wording um but another herb i've heard that's good for women and um, boosting their libido and i apologize if this is not how it's pronounced but it's like dong qui it's like or d-o-n-q-u-i i think q-u-a there's i'm yeah. not sure exactly how to pronounce it i feel like i dong quai but i yeah i feel like we all just pronounce things the way we do and it probably is not correct but yeah i have that's not one that i have used personally with any of my clients, but I have seen a lot of research out there about that. Um, yeah. And again, like you said, just more so like the testimonies behind women, you know, balancing their hormones and they found great benefit in using that. So, yeah, no, and it's, it's tricky. Like you said too, with the research behind some of these herbs versus the testimony, I forget what word you used, but exactly. just kind of like evidence from yeah. people using it. It goes back to, again, there's not a ton of money in this research because what is this going to benefit? You know, these big corporations, probably nothing. So I think when you're doing research and if you are like gung-ho on trying to find, you know, peer-reviewed research and all of these very high clinical studies and things like that, it's great to look for that. But also I would take into consideration the personal stories that women or men um, have had using these more natural foods or herbs, whatever they are, because I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of truth in that. Um, but it's hard not to get caught up in, well, there's no research behind this, so it can't work or it's just, you know, woo woo stuff. But yeah, I think it's, that's just kind of the holistic space that we're in, but yeah. And yeah, I always, obviously I, if you're like taking medications and stuff, I always like say like check with people with like your dietitian, with your doctor or with your physician, like to make sure that an herb won't mess with that. But just, yeah, try it out yourself. Like see, see how you feel, like what's try it out for a week, for a month and see, see what happens. I mean, that's the important stuff. And cause there's a lot of herbs like where 
sometimes I need to like set the intention too when I'm making a tea because this is something that that gets asked of me a lot and or is talked about where I think the the thought when it comes to if you're going to consume something, you're going to feel it. People think it's going to hit you like kind of like alcohol does or if you smoke weed or something like that where it's like you pretty much know when you're high, when you're drunk, when you're like this. It's like with this stuff, it's it's usually pretty subtle and you have to kind of set the intention when you make that cup of tea, when you make that pot of tea that, okay, I'm going to sit here and maybe just kind of like meditate on what I'm feeling or just like sit there and just feel your body, feel what's happening, feel where your thoughts are constantly maybe coming back to. Like, are you constantly like, are you just more productive? Are you kind of more tensed up? Like what's happening? And that's what I kind of tell people is try it and just listen to your body. Be intentional about trying it. Don't just try it and be like, nothing happened. It's like, mm-hmm. no, and may, and maybe, maybe nothing will happen. And I've definitely come across to that too. And if so, then if it tastes good, I continue. If not, then so be it. But um, yeah, kind of going back to the, the question too, there's some other herbs that aren't inherently libido boosters, but I think are nice. And kind of that article that you're mentioning that I, that I wrote, um, I kind of sub or I, I categorized the those libido booster type um, herbs into two categories. One being like a zippy type herb, which is what we were just talking about, like the ashwagandha, the horny goat weed, and that stuff where it's going to like kind of inherently bring out a that libido and that sex drive. The other ones are actually I, I kind of referred to as like calming type herbs or chill uh, type herbs where. If you're stressed out, your libido takes a big hit. I've I've noticed that in my life. So it's like when you're under a lot of stress, your libido takes a big hit. So it's like, okay, these herbs are gonna kind of help curb that stress. I mean, there's if you've ever had like kava, kava is a great herb where you the first time I had it, it's it literally almost made me it was one of the, it was one of those herbs where you tried it and it was powerful. Like it, it almost really? made me feel a little drunk. Um, but then like there's subtle ones like passion flower, skull cap, even like lavender and like rose. Like there's there's a reason why roses are associated with um, with like Valentine's Day and with like romance and stuff like that. Like obviously they're pretty to look look at and they smell really nice. But even as a tea, like. They, when you drink like rose tea, you just feel like a, a calm, like your shoulders just relax. Your your neck, you feel like just a warm tingle down your spine. And like if you're with like a significant other or someone that you're attracted to, it's like it relieves that tension and you can mm-hmm. then you, it feels better. So that's, that's kind of how I like to identify libido boosting herbs. It's like one's kind of inherently give you that sex drive. The other ones just relieve all the other things around you. So you can focus on the sex drive. No, that's very interesting. I didn't know that about roses either. Hmm. Um, I feel like there's so much that I want to learn just about like teas and herbs and stuff, but um, is there a certain, so this could be related to libido or not, but is there a certain time of day that you recommend having certain tea? teas or do you want to like touch on the timing at all if that's important with certain teas or others just it doesn't really matter when or you have is them. this is this in regards to 
libido specifically oh, yeah, or just in first because that's interesting yeah i mean i don't like know are <laughs> more like that instant you probably yeah it's do. okay maybe i that's i'm i'm pretty new to this or like this herbal space like i've been really diving into it the last like year and like I said, a lot of my stuff is from my own practice and just what I've felt. So it's, I think if like in regards to like those like zippy type herbs where you kind of get that, that like feeling of just like ready to go mm-hmm. for me, it happened, that happened like after using this, this male support tea that I was talking about for like a week straight, it was almost like. I was just, I was horny, like literally when something like made me aroused, it made me aroused. And so that's what it was. Whereas like, so it wasn't like, because I drank the tea and I just drank it kind of like whenever I just drank it. I, there wasn't like, a, I didn't set a specific like mm-hmm. more, like this is going to be a tea in the morning. I just drank it during the day at some point because there was no caffeine in it so i was like okay i can drink this at night i can drink it in the morning if i'm whatever i'm feeling mix it with some green tea mix it like with another tea just to if i want the caffeine um so there might be and again that's above above me and like i said i'm pretty new to this space and i'm excited to to learn more and maybe dive deeper into that um but i would say if you're just kind of consistently consuming it it helps you just basically be ready when it's time. Mm-hmm. You're <laughs> so, like, you'll know. <laughs> you'll know. <laughs> you'll, you'll know. Yeah. yeah. So uh, sorry, it's not, a, it's not like a, maybe a good answer, but that's. No, I think that's helpful. Um, no, I think it is. And it just goes back to kind of that personal you have to experiment a little bit with what works for you. And I do, I can speak to when I first started drinking tea, I, you know, you don't have that instant gratification of feeling the energy or whatever it is. So I would, I think that's one of the main reasons why I kind of steered away from it. And I think probably why many people do as well, because you don't have that instant gratification Mm -hmm. of knowing that it's working for you. Um, So I think it's important, like you said, to, you know, try it out for even like a week, give it more than just a day or two. Um, or I recommend probably like a month to see how, you know, those small shifts are going to be happening. But yeah, I can definitely, I feel like when you were talking about that, I was like, yeah, that's probably one of the reasons why I didn't love tea because yeah. you, just, you don't get like, we're, we live in such a world where we have instant access to everything. So I feel like even when it comes to our health, we expect that too. Um, when trying out different, you know, foods, products, herbs, whatever it is, but no, that's all, it's all very interesting. I feel like anybody that's listening is, will take away something for libido. Cause that's one of those things that like, nobody likes to talk about, but a lot of people struggle with, um, yeah. because like you said, I mean, stress is a huge piece of that. And I think for women too, just, I mean, being on birth control is one of those things that totally suppresses libido. Um, Mm. So long story short, I feel like people are going to try anything and many people are like, I'll try whatever it is. Um, But that's interesting. I I am curious. um, You just brought up birth control. I don't know if you were kind of talking about this before, but 
you're very much not i don't want to say anti-birth control um put a label <laughs> sounds, on me yeah I was like, that, that sounds pretty uh <laughs> that sounds pretty like condemning of you um but you are pretty much uh you would prefer people to look I'm other very places pro education yeah. of what birth control is actually doing to your body there you, there it is <laughs> for, i like that yeah Focus for on a positive. very yeah. short label um Yeah. I mean, I, so I personally have never been on birth control. Um, it was one of those things like in, you know, high school when, you know, all your friends are starting to go on birth control. And I just, for whatever reason, one, I didn't want to have the conversation with my parents and I was (laughs) like, not going there. That's, you know, not going to do it. And I didn't have, I was never a person either that had like super debilitating cramps or terrible acne, which is, which are many reasons why, females are put on birth control in the first place. So I felt Mm -hmm. like my excuses were just kind of dwindling a little bit to throw out my parents. But I also just had this weird gut feeling. I'm just like, I don't want it. I don't know what it's going to do to my body. And I don't want to get like weird, huge, huge boobs. And like, I don't want to gain weight. And I just, I don't know, there was something that I, that just wasn't sitting right with me. Um, and now as a 27 year old, I'm very glad after all the things that I have learned kind of after going through school, um, and diving into this world very deeply that I'm very happy that I was never on birth control. But again, this is, I mean, birth control is just something that is thrown at women so quickly, um, to quote unquote heal whatever, you know, hormonal problems they're having, whether it's acne or bad cramps, heavy periods, irregular cycles. Um, and at the end of the day, it's not regulating or healing any of that. It's basically just putting a bandaid on Mm. the situation, providing you with a very, even keeled synthetic dose of hormones, which going back to kind of our cycle talk, our natural hormones cycle is very up and down throughout the month. And that's, uh, it's, it's natural fluctuation. So when you're on birth control, it's very even keeled. You don't get those fluctuations. Um, and over time, um, it can, it can just cause a lot of problems in the body and, can cause gut dysfunction and like I said, suppress, um, your libido. It can really do some damage to your thyroid. It can, I mean, it's just, there's kind of a laundry list of symptoms that can be attributed to birth control that are not talked about, which is really unfortunate. And that's the piece and kind of the education gap that I try to bridge with my clients and just following on Instagram is just to start having that conversation and to bring up, um, the connection between like birth control and mental health, for example. And, um, we're just, again, we're not educated and nobody talks about this. Doctors don't talk about this unless you have an awesome doctor. Some people do, but it's very, very rare, um, for any of these side effects to be brought up when you are being put on birth control. So I think I, I just love being able to have a platform to talk through some of this with women and to make them, feel like they're not crazy and validate some of the symptoms that they have been experiencing and just help connect the dots. I mean, I I tell people all the time, I don't like, it makes no difference to me if you're on birth control or not. Um, I'm going to sleep just as well every single night, but if you, you know, I just want you to know, and I want you to feel empowered with what's going on in your body so you can make those decisions because we're just, 
we're not educated on a lot of the things that birth control can affect in our life. Um, and then especially, you know, once women do come off birth control, shit hits the fan and mm -hmm. it's really, really hard to get a natural and normal cycle back and fertility can be a huge problem. And I just like to get that information out there. So hopefully even just one less woman has to go through kind of the struggle and blind navigation of working through all that. Yeah. I think what you said there was, is like the kind of the highlight of this entire podcast is just education. You be educated, mm -hmm. have these talks with, with people who are truly out for your be best interest and want, and want to, educate you so that you know so then and then make your choice whatever that is and exactly you'll sleep perfectly fine i'm gonna sleep perfectly fine it's whatever it's your life like yeah. do whatever you want but at least i know you know now i know um, you know yeah and so that's that's the important part but so when we talk when we're talking about birth control here are you kind of lumping together the pill iud's um i can't think of anything else right now but um like all types of birth controls that like are not like condoms. Yeah. So, Any, yeah. and I don't mean to lump together. So I'm glad you asked this because there are several different types of birth control. So the one I typically refer to and we're kind of talking about there was the birth control pill. So that's the combination pill where you're receiving both um, synthetic estrogen and progesterone. And this is by far the most common form of birth control and method that women use. So this is typically what I am advocating about, but there are also um, IUDs, there's Nexplan. Um, so with IUDs, there's a hormonal type and a non-hormonal, and they all come with different pros and cons. Um, and I like, for example, with the copper IUD, although you aren't receiving any type of hormone, so it's a non-hormonal form, um, there are different implications that can present themselves that are going to affect your health down the road. So I have one of my clients that I recently phased out. She was on the copper IUD for three years um, and she started working with me. Oh, I'm trying to think exactly how long after she came off. Anyway, she was off of her IUD and we were dealing with a lot of blood sugar issues with her. Her, her digestion was off. Um, her just kind of like nervous system was constantly stimulated. She was having a lot of adrenal fatigue, um, just kind of like heightened anxiety, dizziness, just a lot of these weird symptoms where she's like, what is going on? Because I, I mean, she had a good diet. She's trying to do all the right things. Um, and when you look at it on paper, it just doesn't really make sense. Um, and after a few months of working together, we had her get her copper serum levels tested and some other, um, minerals tested in her body and her copper levels were through the roof. So she was experiencing some copper toxicity from that, um, which kind of presents this whole cascade of issues in the body. So there's different minerals that work together in the body. So, um, they're, they work synergistically, or there's some minerals that are antagonists, so they work against each other. So an example with the copper IUD, um, if there is too much copper in the bloodstream, that's going to deplete our zinc. So copper and zinc are antagonists in the body. So she had super, super low levels of zinc. Um, and to 
somewhat bring this full circle or just give an example in order for our body to produce enough stomach acid to properly, you know, break down our food and digest it the way we want it to, we need ample amounts of zinc in our body. So she had super low levels of zinc. So her digestion starting from the top, even with stomach acid was not getting, her food wasn't getting digested. It was causing inflammation as it was traveling through the GI tract. So she was experiencing a lot of bloat. Um, and just overall digestive discomfort. Um, and then too, she just wasn't, since her digestion was off, she wasn't absorbing a lot of those nutrients that she was getting. So her blood sugar was kind of um, all over the place and coming back to the liver too. Um, the liver is trying to work so hard to detox all of that extra copper and those heavy metals. And that has a huge role in blood sugar. And it has a huge role as we've talked about in just overall hormone balance um, and things like that. So it's just, and that's just one example of, you know, an imbalance in the body that the copper IUD caused in her copper toxicity that can affect so many areas of the body and organs and organ systems that we wouldn't necessarily target or think that they were um, connected, but the body works very, very closely with every single piece. And I think that's yeah. one of the biggest things that we can hit home, just kind of having these more natural and functional conversations, because it's very common. I think if we have a certain symptom to only look at that area and try to, you know, implement whatever it is that we think we need when in reality, there's a lot more going on in the body and you do truly have to approach it from a holistic way, from a holistic um, approach. So it's the, the body's complex, but it's also extremely resilient and um, intelligent. So as soon as you can start to like figure out and navigate the root cause of what's driving a lot of it, there is also typically a very positive cascade too. Cause once you start to fix one thing, the cogs can start moving much smoother and it all, it's all connected. Yeah. Yeah. That is fascinating about the body. It's so, so such an amazing thing. Cause it'll, it will adapt to anything like there. I've, I mean, you can, there's so many different examples, even like how, like talk about, different skin colors. I mean, it's literally our body adapting to where we're born and like the melanin levels. And like, so yeah, when you put something in your body to control your, your birth, your birth control or whatever, it's no wonder it's gonna have some of some side effects that maybe aren't discussed. And so again, it's just about that, that education. So, and I guess if there's someone who is looking to stay on birth control, I guess, is there something that you would recommend that they incorporate, that they do? What's that? What does that look like for clients that want to stay on, on birth control? Yeah. So this, I have a few clients to do that um, are staying on birth control. And that's something that we talked about before them coming on. And like I said, I'm happy to, like, it doesn't matter to me what you want. It, it's a very, personal decision between you or you and your partner, whether or not you're on birth control. Um, so I'm happy to work with clients who want to stay on and I just will help them support their body in the best way that they can. Um, it's kind of like a tenfold approach with birth. It depends what type of birth control you're on. Um, and it also depends kind of 
what you're on birth control for too, because a lot of women are on it for, you know, the bad cramps or the heavy periods or the acne, whereas other women are solely using it for, to prevent pregnancy. Um, so I feel like I just went on a weird tangent there. <laughs> What's <was> your question? <laughs> um, what am I that question was if someone wants oh, to stay on Oh, if someone is staying on yes. – sorry. My brain is like <laughs> always going 10 miles at a time. Um, so if they're wanting to stay on birth control, a lot of the things that we do is work on replenishing the nutrients that the pill or – I'm just going to say pill right now. So if you're on the pill, um, replenishing those nutrients that it depletes. So there's a ton of research about very specific nutrients that the pill depletes that are very important to various functions in the body. So that's one area that we work on. Um, We work on supporting your gut. So the pill is causes a lot of dysfunction and kind of imbalance in your microbiome and the inflammation that it can cause as well eventually leads to a condition called leaky gut where the gut lining surrounding your microbiome becomes permeated. So I like to explain it like kind of like instead of a nice solid foundation or a nice solid wall around your microbiome, it kind of turns into Swiss cheese. So essentially things, everything that's supposed to be staying inside of your microbiome, toxins, protein particles, whatever it is, those can leak out into your bloodstream and cause inflammation. They can cause, I mean, immune conditions, autoimmune conditions. Leaky gut is like one of the inflammation and leaky gut are the root of so many diseases. Mm -hmm. Um, So we work on trying to replenish the bacteria in the microbiome and then rebuild that gut lining wall as much as we can. Um, Liver support is a huge one just because you are receiving those synthetic hormones every single day and you're exposed to them constantly. So making sure that the liver supported the best that we can so you can, you know, filter through and detox those, um, working on supporting the thyroid. There's, there's just a lot <laughs> that yeah. comes into it, but I work on that with my one-on-one clients and kind of help hold their hand throughout that process. And then I also created the birth control bounce back course. So within the course, um, I have actionable steps that you can take if you are on birth control and it's kind of separated into different types of birth control that you could be on. And then also actionable steps to take if you are someone who is wanting to transition off or you have come off and you're like, okay, what do I do? How can I kind of clean up the damage? And we talk through all of that in the course. So it's pretty complex as far as approaching it from every angle. But at the same time, I try to take all of the like Googling and navigation and just feelings of being over very overwhelmed for people and get you from point A to point B as quickly as possible. Um, and in the easiest form. So that's why I kind of created the course. So that's one of the resources that I use for clients who are wanting to stay on birth control, um, just as a kind of one-stop shop for a resource for them to help guide them through that process. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. That's important stuff. So you mentioned gut microbiome, and I think that's a that's kind of a buzzword nowadays too. People are really getting interested in in a healthy gut, and I guess what is that? Let's kind of go go through with the basics on that too, because because like I said, that's such an important thing. And I actually and a couple episodes ago I was talking with Jack, as as you know, uh, founder of Community Kombucha. And kombucha is a great thing for your gut microbiome, but 
what do you kind of give us a little explanation on, on gut microbiome and why it's important and what we can do to support it? Yeah. So your gut microbiome is basically your intestines. So it's kind of this, your gut is really the hub, honestly, to your overall health. And it has a hand in so much. So you have bacteria in your gut. Um, ideally you want this bacteria to be very balanced. Sorry, my dog just laid my <laughs> Um, So you want this microbiome to be balanced, but what is so common for people in just like our modern world, um, the bad bacteria is overgrowing the good bacteria. So this is called dysbiosis. um, And this is something that I see super frequently. um, And it's due to stressors in the body that will deplete good bacteria, the food that we're eating, if you're eating your, you know, standard American diet, a lot of those are going to affect the good bacteria, um, sugars, uh, alcohol, things like birth control, medications. Um, all of those are kind of working against your good bacteria. So that's why, like you said, with Jack, kombucha is a phenomenal probiotic source. So probiotics are going to build up that good bacteria that we want to try to keep it in a proper balance. Um, and it really does just have so much power over our entire health and um, especially mental health too. This is one thing. And I know you guys did talk about this on your podcast with Jack and the vagus nerve and kind of the connection between your brain and your gut. But if your gut is in a nice balanced state, that's going to set your mental health up for um, just so much more, just way better um, situation. Whereas you are, you know, your gut is, super overgrown with bad bacteria, you have candida or you have something like SIBO or whatever it is that that's going to communicate up through your vagus nerve. And that's going to kind of send alarms up to your brain. And it's, it's hard to keep that balance when there is such an open communication, um, with your microbiome, but it just, your microbiome has a hand in your hormones. It has a hand in your immune system is a huge one. Um, and I mean, in the COVID world right now, I think that's one of my biggest frustrations of why this is not being talked mm. about. Yeah. Um, because it's, I mean, I think it's like 70 to 80% of your immune system lies in your gut. So if you can really prioritize your gut health and um, be intentional about removing some of those factors that I talked about earlier that are damaging, um, your body is just going to be set up so much better um, in your immune health in general. So there, it's a fascinating realm to get into as far as gut health. And I think it is one of the few like quote unquote trends that is trend worthy. And I think yeah. people should really, really look into it um, and become more mindful and just take the time to do research and just educate yourself about um, what you can do. I I mean, as far as things that you can do for your health, I recommend definitely taking a probiotic every day. Um, I typically recommend taking a spore-based probiotic. So these probiotics are basically covered by these spores that are basically protecting the probiotic as it's traveling down through your GI tract from things like stomach acid or anything Mm. else that could damage it. So when it does get down to the gut, it can kind of do its thing. So taking a probiotic every day, I think, um, obviously talk to your doctor. There's some conflictions with that as far as like pregnancies go. And if you're on certain antibiotics, but antibiotics is a huge one that depletes good bacteria in the gut. So that's another one. Um, but getting probiotic rich foods in, so kombucha, kefir, um, 
whole fat yogurt's really good. Sauerkraut, big fan of sauerkraut. Um, any kind of fermented foods, pickled vegetables, those are all great. And um, trying to think of what else for the microbiome that you can do. Those are kind of the big ones yeah. to add in, but just yeah, removing, try to remove as much as you can of the other stuff that's working against the balance down there. Yeah. Yeah. I find that fascinating because like you, again, this is such new, new stuff that's just not talked about enough. And then that's then again, another just theme of this, this show is just talking more about these untouched subjects. And I mean, it was fascinating last time or when we were talking with Jack, how he mentioned that there's more, or there's more, um, of these bugs in your body than there are cells that make up mm-hmm. you as who you are. So it's like literally you're basically this hotel for, for these guts or for these um, bugs to live in. But at the same time, like without them, we're not alive. We're not doing, we're not doing things or we're living a, a very poor quality life. Like you were just mentioning um, something that I've, that people like to use, uh, as like t- when talking about the gut microbiome and that I've learned recently might not be as, or it might be misinformation. And I'll explain is that the, the gut makes up 90% of your serotonin or 90% of your serotonin is produced in the gut. And now I'm not saying that's misinformation, but I've heard that recently that people always say that serotonin or when you think of serotonin, it's in the mind and it helps, helps make you happy. You get it after working out, you get it after um, eating some delicious food and, and everything. But this serotonin actually remains in the gut and helps with digest digestion and supporting your immune system and other stuff like that. Do you know much about that? Yeah. I mean, I, that's one of the points that I do make a lot when I'm working with clients that have more of that mental health piece coming in. Um, if they do have any anxiety, depression, or kind of mood disorders like that, the gut is one of the first things that we start to support. Um, and I definitely have that conversation because it is a misconception and myself included when I was growing up, I assumed everything that is happening in the brain is happening in the brain. And, um, serotonin included. I mean, I never would have expected that, like you said, 80 to 90% of serotonin is produced in your gut. So this just further drives home the importance of taking care of this microbiome because it does have so much of an effect on our mental health, our happiness, our ability to handle stressors um, and to kind of manage that anxiety that so many people have now. And I do think it comes back to, I mean, it's one of those things where you just think about the gradual exposures that we have grown up with since we were born. I mean, we were, if you think about the typical, you know, dinners, breakfasts, snacks that you had as a kid, all, I mean, at least for me, almost all of it was processed. It was granola bars. It was cereal. It was like canned vegetables, bread and butter, you know, just the very typical stuff. But yeah. a lot of that that is included, like the processed sugars, artificial, you know, foods, sweeteners, and gluten is a big one. All of those over time are 
starting to damage our gut. So they're not only damaging the good bacteria in our microbiome, but going back to the gut lining that's surrounding it, um, it's slowly, gradually poking holes in that gut lining, causing inflammation in the body. And it's not something that we're going to see overnight. Um, but then you get people who are our age, um, who are experiencing super high levels of anxiety and they're just, you know, over, not overnight, click my fingers like that, but, um, they're becoming depressed and they're seeing all of these insane gut dysfunctions like SIBO and candida and, you know, whatever it is. And they're like, when did this happen? But mm -hmm. it's not so much of an acute event, but we have to think back of all of these exposures and toxic exposures to go the, all the way back to the beginning of the podcast. Um, that we have been exposed to growing up. And it's just, it does a number on your gut. And it's something that I wish was talked about when we were growing up. But I, I don't think, I mean, the research just wasn't there. And this is a very new kind of topic in the yeah. world of science, I would say. Um, but there is a lot of kind of cleaning up the damage to be done right now. But I do think it is the reason why we see, or one of the reasons why we see so such an increase, I guess, in, um, mental disorders and anxiety, depression and whatever it is. So yeah. it's, it's nice though, because I do think the more we can talk about it, it is an answer for people. And it's something that is different than an anxiety medication. You know, I think people are finding that it's really frustrating now because they just can't get to the bottom of what's going on. They don't want to be on these medications forever. Um, and some, some of the medications are absolutely necessary. Um, I'm not mm -hmm. saying that at all. But if you can, again, address things from the root cause and start replenishing that microbiome and rebuilding that gut lining, I have seen so many clients just see drastic improvements over time. Again, this doesn't happen within like two weeks. Um, but some of my you know six-month clients or so, they have seen great improvement with that. So it's definitely worth getting into for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a, it's such a touchy subject uh, when it comes to like mental illness and depression and anxiety, because like, and, and I, I'm the same way when it comes to like the pharmaceuticals and pills, like I'm, I'm very much against it as much as possible. Like, yeah, like you said, there are certain, some, there are certain pills that are, are great and they are necessary. But when it comes to like those type things, I always would recommend trying everything you can do when it comes to like, are you on a good workout routine? Like, or are you doing like any sort of movement, just a movement routine? Are you, what are you putting into your body? Like what's, what's your diet? Like, like look at those first. And then if those don't work after, like you said, six months or so, then dive deeper into it and then maybe talk a little bit more. But I guarantee you, you're going to see some sort of difference at that time. And so that's why I get like, it's a, again, it's a touchy subject, but it's a subject, it's something that needs to be discussed and needs to be talked about because there's these alternative ways. And I don't even like, I even like hesitate to call them like alternative ways because it should be the way to, to attack this is to, Let's try this first. What are you doing? Like, what's your exercise routine? What's your diet? Go after that first. If that doesn't work, okay, then let's start prescribing you some things because maybe this is deeper rooted than than we thought. And yeah, it's it's 
upsetting sometimes because like you said, this is becoming more and more common. I mean, I think I've seen some scary numbers about like, even like teenagers who are reportedly having higher anxiety rates. And and this is an entire thing too, where you can get into, is this due to the healthy or is this doing to due to the eating habits? Is it due to social media consumption? Is it due to, I mean, there's variables and there's a lot of variables here that that's life though. That's what you're, that's what we're dealing with. Yep. No, I totally agree. And there's, there's, it's very complex as far as everything that is or can affect our mental health. Um, so it's not, I mean, I'm not sitting here just to say it's just diet by any means. There's people are going through so much, um, Mm -hmm. especially right now, kind of in the season that we're in, but like you said, I don't see the harm in trying natural remedies. I don't understand fully why people are often so against that. Um, I think I empathize with the fact that natural remedies are not the quick fix. So I think the hesitation behind um, going the more natural approach often stems from the fact that they're like, okay, well, I'm not going to feel better in a week. So I'm not going to try this, which I get if there's an extreme situation or you really just like need that relief, whatever it is. But truly like until you take that functional and just natural approach, you're never going to know really what the root is or like how you can support, I guess, your body from a foundational standpoint. Um, but it, it is, I don't know, it's crazy. And just to see too, when you were talking, it just made me think of like all of the commercials now that are, and then I say now, but they've been around they've forever been, yeah. with medications like Humira. I don't, that just comes to my mind and they're like yeah. dancing around, but then they start lifting <laughs> off all these side effects. And I'm like, yeah. are people listening to this? Like, do they right? understand? Okay. If you are, I don't even know what Humira is for, honestly. I, I don't know here. I don't know. But like <laughs> if you have chronic headaches, take this. But you have a side effect of A, B, C, D, like, and it just goes on and on. And I'm like, people, we got to wake up a little bit. Like right. why, why like, I don't see the attraction there. And it's just, it's crazy that it has gotten to that point where that is, like you said, why is nat- the natural approach the alternative approach? Mm-hmm. Like it, it really, we need like, a shift, a major shift to take place. And it's just, it's going to be hard. It's going to be an uphill battle for sure. And I think Mm -hmm. just with the whole financial aspect of everything and when money is involved and politics are involved, things get pretty dicey, but I don't know. I think like you said, if, I mean, to circle back, if you can take the approach that is natural and just see how your body responds, give it time, be patient with it. Don't expect things to happen overnight. Um, because just going back to how it got there, I mean, this didn't happen overnight. The way this was gradually, you know, working against your body and got you to the point where whatever it is, regardless if it's mental health or, you know, GI health or hormone health, it's typically um, not an acute situation. And there's just been some buildup of work against your body. So, yeah, one of the, one of the best um, metaphors I've seen is like, you didn't get fat overnight, so you're not going to lose the weight overnight. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, you're not, it's not something you oh, just wake, wake, people wake still up. Expect to. Yeah, I know. You don't, yeah, you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm a hundred pounds heavier. What, what happened? It's like, no, mm-hmm. that's, that's a every day, like you're, you're gaining weight and you're doing something. So same exact thing. It's going to be a long process back, but 
you can do it and you and you should do it. And I think yeah. with the pharmaceuticals too, it, what's interesting too is a lot of those are derived from plants. Pretty much like all medicine is like derived from plants and from uh, just like these herbs. And so it's like, well, maybe let's try the source first. Like mm-hmm. let's, let's target those. I mean, uh, you look on a lot of um, one herb that I see a lot in like a sleep aid is valerian root and valerian is I've, it's one that I personally have not tried, but I've heard a lot of like great things when it comes to like a sleep aid. It really relaxes you and really gets you ready to to sleep. And you look at a lot of these pharmaceuticals and valerian root is part of that. And it's like, again, there's something there. Worth looking into. <laughs> yeah. We're at least worth exploring. Like, that's that's kind of what I've um yeah, just what I what I've talked about. So Yeah. Awesome. Well, Kelsey, is there anything else that you kind of want to talk about that you want to dive into? I don't know. I feel like we've gotten into some some good things. I don't we think have. so. We have. Yeah. I mean, I might I I guess there, there is stuff that I can always talk about because because <laughs> I'm now I'm just thinking about like the whole immune system and like what you were just talking about with with COVID and zinc and all right I'm gonna do it. Oh, we're you want to go here. there? Yeah, we're here. We're here. We're here. <laughs> Why not? That close? That close to an hour is another hour of the podcast, people. Mm-hmm. We just fooled you. Um, no, I yeah, and actually I I kind of do want to talk about this because it's um. I, I had COVID. I um I had COVID back in the summer or last summer of 2020, and I I think I reached out to you almost like immediately because I was like I need zinc, <laughs> I need zinc stat, <laughs> like get it to me, like I because I was like you know what where a good quality zinc would come from or something, and like like besides that, like I started upping upping my oyster intake and red meat intake yeah doing again going to like i'll eat the foods and then i'll supplement it as well because i it was like a an eye-opener for me was after i got it and i lost my sense of smell and taste i like look dove into that that realm and i was like oh like even outside of covid a zinc deficiency a or when you have a zinc deficiency an indicator is a lack of smell and taste. So, okay, well, I don't have my smell and taste. Let's try zinc. Let's see what happens. And it came back for me fully within, within a week. And I heard people, and I was like, I was like pretty depressed when I got COVID and I lost my smell and taste. Cause I was like, I lost, I lost this. And like, now I can't enjoy food. And I, and I love food. Like, and I was like, uh-huh. and I've heard people who, have, don't have it for months, like who lose their sense of smell and taste for months. And I'm, and now, now everybody who gets it, I'm like immediately telling them, I'm like, get or up your zinc, just up zinc. your zinc. Like, I'm like, go buy oysters, go eat some red meat. You're just go, just try it. Like, just try it. And if nothing happens, like, well, whatever. But like everyone who I've talked to, like my girlfriend, she got it. She's been taking a zinc and magnesium supplement for years now. The, the guy who I know who is on the carnivore diet, he got it and he never lost his sense of smell and taste. And like these people who were taking zinc, it was like, so now everyone who gets it and like they're not losing their sense of smell and taste. I'm like, 
I ask him, I'm like, what's your diet like? Like, what, like, what do you, do you eat a lot of oysters? Red are you eating? Yeah. <laughs> do you like oysters? Um, and then like those who do, I'm like, yeah, like I kind of in- inquire them and like, just to see, cause I, again, I don't have the science behind it. This is strictly me just pulling the people I know, yeah. but it's, um, yeah, that's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating thing. And what's your thoughts on, on all this? Uh, um i both my husband and i also had covid late fall um and kind of the same thing it was depressing to lose the taste and smell it was like i mean it's the only thing you're looking forward to too you're in quarantine you can't do anything else and you're like oh my god i can't taste my food now um and i say that coming from i know so many people have you know their cases are much worse um but sorry, the little thing just popped up on the screen there. Um, no, I think more than anything that, and I wish that, I think this should have been such a wake up call for so many people to prioritize health um, at the end of the day, just with COVID in general. And it makes me, it's very frustrating that still a year out, there has been yet to be a single news blurb about anything that you can do to boost your immune system. I have yet to see on any type of news channel, I don't know, Fox, CNN, whatever it is, there is nothing that is being talked about. Okay, how can you build yourself up the best way that you can to prepare your immune system for what's coming? Um, And we, I know there are some cases that are extremely bizarre and, you know, COVID has taken some perfectly healthy people. Um, but so much of it comes down to your ability to fight the virus. And if you can just in general support your body, make sure, like you said, you're getting proper amounts of zinc. Um, vitamin D is a huge one. And there's actually so much research out now about vitamin D um, and COVID in general and being able to recover. So if you can just support your body holistically and you can do everything that you can, I think that gives you not only a peace of mind for COVID, but just moving forward, whatever's coming. I mean, you just, that's what's been so helpful for Nick and I, I would say is from day one, obviously when COVID first started to happen, we had no idea what was going on. Nobody had any clue what was going to happen, how serious it was, um, what it was going to look like for us. So we just kind of had the conversation that, okay, we don't know what's going to happen. And this is all very new territory for us. It's very new for everybody else, but what can we control? And we can control our immune system. We can control what we're putting into our body, what we are choosing not to expose our body to, um, and really just trying to build up our innate immune system the best that we can. Um, and, just kind of move forward in that way. So I think it's, there's again, so much benefit to just taking that natural approach and trying things out, trying out zinc, what is it going to hurt? And that's one of the other things that's frustrating for me um, in the lack of, I don't want to say, I mean, it is a lack of education, but just nobody's talking about this on the mainstream media. And that's, that's what's going to hit so many people is that's how you, you know, communicate with people nationwide is through the mainstream media. And it's something that's just the conversation that's not being had, which is unfortunate. Um, But I'm hopeful that 
people are starting to catch on to, you know, some of these natural remedies that you can try just to, again, just to continue to build up your immune system um, and do what you can because it's, I don't know, there's a lot, again, that we can't control and who knows. I mean, COVID might take me in two weeks, but honestly, I'm, if it does, it does. I'm doing everything that I can right now to just have a healthy body and build a healthy immune system. So yeah, I don't know. It's COVID's like a whole, whole can of worms, but those are yeah. my overarching thoughts. Yeah, no, it's again, all, again, all of this is, is very important to talk about. And yet at the same time, people get a little weird about talking about it because some of it's been politicized. Some of it's been, um, I, I don't, there's just so much emotion behind all this because I know people who have been taken from COVID. Like it's a very real and serious thing that needs to be addressed. But like you're talking about the reason why it's such a real thing is because our immune systems are kind of going to shit and we need to address that, build up a strong immune system because COVID might be a baby virus compared to what we might see in the future. And like, we don't know what kind of viruses we're going to see in the future. Cause this isn't going to be, this wasn't the first virus to happen. This is not going to be the last in human existence. I, I hope we don't see something like this in our lifetime, but we don't know. And so what we can control is our immune system is by doing the, the right, making the right healthy choices day in and day out. And it's just going to lead to ultimately a better, just better life. And you're going to feel in a, in a world where you're not in control of a lot of things. And I've come to realize that just the older I get and the more I go through, it's like, I am in control of very little. So let's the things that I am in control of and that I can affect. Let's like, let's be badass at them. Like, let's, let's be good at like to own them. Like they're yours, like just do it and, and really take control of it. And it's, and then it makes the other things in life easier to handle and easier to deal with. Um, have you ever heard of, or do you do you know what an ionophore is? No. So this I learned a couple weeks ago. Um, I forget what else is an ionophore, but. Green tea has EGCG. Are you familiar with with that compound? Kind of, yeah. And I, I'm, I forget. I always forget how to properly pronounce what EGCG stands for, but it doesn't matter. It's a compound that's in. It's a poly polyphenol that's in green tea that is that acts as this ionophore. So what an ionophore is is it helps transport. Basically, it helps transport um, minerals and vitamins that are in your body through the through cell walls and into the cells. So, zinc, as um, as you might be aware of, is a has an ion um, or has plus two is there is its charge. So, zinc <clears throat> naturally, when you take it, it doesn't it's not always the most like bioavailable, meaning it doesn't always go into your cells, but when combined with an ionophore, hence green tea, it actually helps the cells absorb the zinc better and more efficiently. And therefore you can, um, 
Yeah, you. I mean, you'll still be taking the the zinc. You'll be taking will actually have a greater effect on your system, and so I find that to be interesting too. To tie this back to tea, um, a lot of a lot of fun things going on going on with tea, and this. I think it's what always fascinates me is how the the combinations that you can find in life, like whether it's like taking zinc with an ionophore or taking. Um, I think zinc and magnesium are great to take with, take together and like vitamin D3 and calcium are great to take together. And then there's those combinations that you don't want to take together that I can't really think of, but yeah, that's some interesting tidbit for you. No, that's super interesting. I did not know that about green tea. Um, so yeah, everybody moral of this podcast, green tea and oysters is what. Tea and oysters. <laughs> that's all you need in life. Yep, to that's be all fine. you need. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, everything's so fascinating. I feel like we're getting into a little bit of like the nitty gritty stuff of, I don't know, it just gets a little bit more complex, but it is like, once you get into this realm a little bit, you find yourself just wanting to, you know, know more and dig deeper and it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fascinating. All of the, all the powers of foods and herbs. And it's, yep. I don't know. I think if people can take that approach and just open their mind to, a natural approach. I truly cannot see a downside to it, which I think is just what constantly blows my mind. I'm like, why not though? Like, give me a legitimate reason why this, you know, why wouldn't you try this first? So yeah, I don't know. I agree. And I think at that, we're going to, we're going to close this out because <laughs> peace, again, we can, <laughs> yeah, peace, Mike, <laughs> exactly. Cause like you said, we can get into these nitty gritty details. Um, but it's important just, I think the overarching message is educate yourself, find people who are willing to look out for you and willing to do who have put in the time and effort. Cause it's, there's a lot of information out there. You don't need to know it all, but you need to know the right resources to go to. And I think you, you've you done an amazing job over the last couple of years of doing that research and being able to help a lot of women take, on, take control of their lives and take control of those things that we are in control of and that are going to make just overall your life a lot easier, a lot better, a lot more, a lot more fun, really. So yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. That means more than, you know, I, yeah, I love doing it. And like you said, I think we just need to keep having these conversations with people and, and to having conversations with people from different backgrounds. Um, because I think it's, it's important not to only like for me, for example, not to only have conversations in the whole with people in the holistic world, but also have conversations and get perspectives from um or healthcare professionals in you know kind of western medicine so you can get it's it's not a one-side story everybody has a different um opinion there's so much different research it can be overwhelming but i think if you're able to branch out and to you know reach out to people and have as many conversations as you can you're much more able to figure out and just kind of get a gut feeling of what's going to work for you um, and find that healthy, healthy balance, because we all, we all have a lot to offer. Um, and I just hope that moving forward, people can have conversations like nice human beings. And because right now conversations are very hard, it seems. Um, 
with differing perspectives. But yeah, like you said, I think you, you hit it right on the head. We just need to keep talking about it, keep educating ourselves. And there's always more to learn. Amen. Amen. So just tell everybody what kind of services do you offer for people if they're interested in, um, in working with you? Yeah. So I offer, um, my basic service is called breaking balance. So this is where I look at a full week's worth of your food and mood journal. So you're documenting everything that you're eating, the times that you're eating, your energy, um, digestive reactions, any supplements, medications, things like that, that you're taking. Um, and then I basically write up a full recommendation write up based off of your foods and the reactions that I'm seeing compared to the foods um, on how you can improve, whether it's the quality of the food that you're eating, um, the macronutrient combination to support blood sugar, things like that, um, any type of digestive support, just basically looking at diet. Um, and then I also work with one-on-one -on -one clients where I put them through many different assessments. Um, they do the food journal, like I just mentioned, but I also put them through what's called a nutritional assessment questionnaire. So this is a 320 plus question assessment that um, takes a look at all the symptoms that they're experiencing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And how the, all of those symptoms then tie back into specific organ or organ system dysfunction. So I'm able to look at the body as a whole, everything from your digestion to your blood sugar to your liver to your thyroid to your female reproduction um and kind of target areas of highest priority so we know what to work on moving forward but basically a lot of assessments um we get down into the nitty-gritty of kind of the root cause of what could probably be causing a lot of the symptoms um and how to balance that through a food first approach um and if needed a whole food based supplement protocol. And then aside from my one on one work that I do, that's very hands on and um, kind of unique to you. I also offer two different e courses. So one of them is a gut check course. So this is for someone who is interesting in learning about more of the gut health kind of that we talked about. And if you are someone who experiences anxiety, or, you know, different autoimmune conditions, or you know, gut conditions in general. So like we talked about kind of candida, dysbiosis, things like that. Um, that would be a great place to start for you. So that's a six week program that you can kind of walk through at your own pace. And then I also have my most recent birth control bounce back course. So this again is an e-course, totally self-paced. Um, so you can work through it at whatever pace fits your lifestyle. And I talk through all the education behind what the different types of birth control are doing to your body, um, how to support the foundations that are imperative in not only hormone balance, but just health in general, and then also includes action steps on how to support your body per which birth control you are on, which one you are on, and just a ton of birth control specific related um, resources in there too. So, oh, we forgot to touch Speaking of that, I also included the um, how to just prevent pregnancy naturally. So using oh, yeah. fertility awareness method and basal body temp tracking, that's a huge one too for women. So that education is also included in the course if you are wanting to come off of birth control, but not trying to have any buns in the oven, we go over yeah. that too. So those are kind of my, all my different resources or ways to work with me right now. So those can all be found on my website, um, 
Yeah, where yeah. can everyone find you? So my website's Buns and Balance at no, that was, I was just going to lift <laughs> off my email. Just bunsandbalance.com is my website. <laughs> and then Instagram is my handles buns and balance. Um, so those are kind of my two main social media. I try not to do anything else and yeah, stick to those. Amazing. Well, absolutely incredible. Kelsey, thank you so much for teaching me a lot today. And um, hopefully someone takes a little bit of a tidbit out of this and people reach out to Kelsey. She's really smart and intelligent and amazing. So thank you. I look forward to doing another one with you at some point. Yeah. Likewise to you. I learned a lot about tea and I was hoping to, I was nervous because I'm like, I don't know much <laughs> about tea. So <laughs> I hope he doesn't ask me a lot of questions. Oh no. So, no, no I want to focus very on you. Helpful. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. All right. That. Yep. See you All later. Right. Yep. Bye. Bye. Thank you to Kelsey and all the research and work that she's done with helping restore women's health and having them take ownership of their health. Remember to check her out at bunsinbalance.com or on Instagram at bunsinbalance. And remember, if you've enjoyed the show so far, please subscribe. It means a lot, as well as leave a review. Five-star reviews are more than appreciated, as well as uh, write a review. It's it means a lot and I love seeing I love reading them and seeing everyone's kind words. And to end today's show, we're gonna do the urban dictionary T word of the day. And so today's word is black tea. Black tea. I apologize for this. The liquid portion of diarrhea, more specifically, a very dark black liquid that squirts from the ass with great force. The excretion contains no solid pieces and is very running, running, runny. Well, thank you all for tuning in today. And remember to check out Kelsey's stuff and have a great day. Peace.